class period. And by the way, the next two classes will be on the book of Proverbs. David will be leading us on, in Proverbs. Next two classes after that will be on Ecclesiastes. And then David, I'll do those. And then the last class will be by, on, by David on the Song of Solomon. We're looking at a sampling of the Psalms in our study overview of the, the book of Psalms. Looking at Psalm 22, Psalm 32, and Psalm 35. Parts of the psalm may reflect trials in David's life. I don't know the occasion. But he, he's, he's experiencing some things. But also he's prophetically showing some things that Jesus was going to go through. That we can look at in Matthew 27 and John 19 and other passages. So, but David is experiencing these things. But he's prophetically speaking about things to come with the Lord. The psalm is messianic. In other words, it, it foretells and, and pictures the sufferings of Jesus while he's on the cross and, and in that time frame. We looked at some passages about how that in, in connection with the idea of, of Jesus and the, the psalm being messianic, foretelling of his coming suffering, we looked at how that Jesus bare our sins on the cross in his body. Several passages we went through and all of that on account of our sins, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus went through all of that for us. He bare our sins. He, he made it possible. He was going to be God's means of forgiveness. His sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice, was going to be God's means of forgiveness of our sins through his blood. In Psalm 22, we looked at the psalm. Uh, broke it into a couple of pieces. The first part of the psalm was a psalm of uh, a lament, David crying out to God in his distress and uh, crying to God for help. In the last part of the, the psalm, we looked at David and how that he, how, even though he suffered, he was praising God. And let me turn over in my notes in that regard. So David, in, in this psalm, Again, I, I take it that he was going through these things that we read about in Psalm 22. Also prophetically foretelling God foreknew what was, what was going to happen with Jesus on the cross. But I take it David was going through these things. They were laughing at David. At some point in time in his life, they, he, was, he was going through these trials. They were laughing at him, gaping at him. His, his strength was gone. Uh, his hands and feet were pierced. Uh, he could tell all his bones. They, he was on the horns of the wild ox, you might say. But he still wouldn't cease to praise and worship God. David knew. David knew that God heard him. We see from verse 24. David knew that God was a God of deliverance. From verse 24 of the psalm, Psalm 22. But even though he knew that. I believe that in his emotion, in his feeling, as, as, as Lorenzo expressed uh, last class period, you know, in the book of Psalms, we see the emotions, the heart of the writer in recording what he's feeling and seeing and, and going through. Even though David knew that God was a God of deliverance, even though he knew that God heard his prayer, he still cried out to God in his emotion, why have you forsaken me? In other words, God was allowing him to go through these things for that period of time. He wasn't, getting off, he, he, he wasn't getting out of being on the horns of that ox. 
He wasn't getting out of being pierced. He wasn't getting out of, uh, I mean, he was go, actually going through these things, what I'm trying to say. He was going through these trials. We'll say more about that in a, in a minute. But in that this psalm is messianic, you know, here in Psalm 22, David is describing things he's experiencing, but he's also prophetically foretelling the things that Jesus would experience. In Matthew 27, verse 35, it tells us they crucified him. And if there's anyone listening to the, the audio, but they don't have the screen, I'm, I'm showing some passages on the screen. In Matthew 27, verse 35, they crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. You know, David is going through these things, I take it foretelling what was going to happen to Jesus. Now, I don't believe that these people in Jesus' day in Matthew 27, they, they were looking at the psalm and said, you know, it, it's about time we need to fulfill this, right? <laughs> you know, we need to uh, 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 part his garments. No, they didn't, I don't know that they knew anything about it. But God foreknew that this would happen to Jesus. It was happening to David and God foreknew that it would happen to Jesus. John 19, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they've pierced. These people crowded around the cross and looking at Jesus, looking upon him whom they have pierced. I don't think they were, they knew, I don't know, know that they necessarily knew what they were doing in fulfilling this prophecy, but God foreknew what in a thousand AD, I mean a thousand BC, when David wrote, God foreknew what they were going to do. He knew ahead of time what they were going to do. Matthew 27, verse 43. They were saying, he trusted in God, let him deliver him, if he will have him. For he said, I'm the son of God. So Jesus was fulfilling Psalm 22. Again, God foreknew that Jesus was going to go through that. And the same thing I believe is true in Matthew 27, verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We'll talk more about that in, a, in just a, a bit I don't believe Jesus was simply and solely saying this just to point back to the psalm and prophecy and say, hey, that's me, that was me. I don't think that was it. I think he meant it. But God foreknew that Jesus was going to say that. One takeaway from the psalms of lament is that even in our suffering, you know, we may not know why things are happening. That's what, remember in the book of Job, Elihu is trying to show Job, Job, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. It's darkness. You know, we can't see what God is doing. We don't know. Don't accuse God. Even though we don't know why things were going through these things, we can still trust God. Job even made the statement in Job 13, verse 15, though he slay me, I'll trust him. That's the kind of trust that we need to have. I believe David trusted God. Jesus trusted God. Job trusted God. They may not have known, in the case of Job or in the case of David, they may not have known all of the, all of the whys about what they were going through, but they could still trust God. Like in Psalm 22, verse 14, uh, that he, he's, he hears me. God, David knew God was a God of deliverance, but he was still going through these things, not maybe knowing all the whys. God was allowing it to happen, but he was going through them. It may very well be that the only deliverance we have is in the resurrection. We may have to go, you know, David was on the horns of the ox. He experienced that. 
Jesus was crucified. Job went through what he went through. Of course, God gave him twice as, what he, as much as he had after it was all over. But he went through what he went through. David lived through it. Jesus did not. Job lived through it. We might not. Hebrews 11 verse 35 speaks of some who, I take it, maybe they could have recanted their faith and been delivered. But he says, some were not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They didn't, they, and rather than get out of the suffering that they were going through, they said, no, we have faith in God, basically, and we'll accept that final deliverance. That may be the only deliverance we have. In other words, God may allow us to suffer. He allowed David to suffer. He allowed Jesus to suffer. He allowed Job to suffer. He may allow us to suffer. We've got to trust God. And if nothing else, we understand that God is a God of deliverance. He hears us, but he may let us go through it. And our only deliverance might be the final resurrection. We don't know. We don't know God's plan and what he's, he's going to do with us and for us. You know, I understand, like in Psalm 22, I understand the concept that some have that, well, in, in Psalm 22, when David said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That he was just mistaken in some way. And then he learned better later on in the psalm. And he said, oh, you know, God, I, God heard me. I know God hears. I don't think that's the case. I think David knew that all along, but he still said what he said. Or Jesus, again, I don't believe that he's just symbolically pointing back to the prophecy. Hey, that was me. I mean, I, I understand that's true. Anyone who knew the scriptures would have known what Jesus pointed to or what was re referenced when he said what he said. But I don't believe that's all it was. I believe... Uh, David meant it, and Jesus meant it, and that God just, it just simply means that God allowed them to suffer what they suffered. Jesus was going to be delivered in the resurrection. David was delivered in life, but they had to suffer the things that they went through. Just some examples of this, this idea. In Psalm 10, another psalm, in that psalm, I'm comparing verse 1 and verses 17 and 18. In Psalm 10, David knew that the wicked were going to be judged in the end, but he still said, Lord, why do you stand afar off? You know, he was warning God to do, do the judgment right now. Here's these wicked people oppressing. Judge them right now. But he knew God was a God of, of justice, and he would uh, settle the score in the end. But he still asked, you know, what's going on? Why aren't you doing something now? And so we may, in our emotions, in our humanity, we may say some things uh, in, in our distress, even though we know that God is a God of deliverance, even though we know uh, that he hears us. Jesus knew he was going to die. In Matthew 26, verse 54, he said the scriptures have to be fulfilled. In John 2, 19, this is interesting. In John 2, 19, I take it that Jesus even thought... <coughs> even expressed that in some way he was going to have a part in his own resurrection. He was telling people, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. So how he, how he meant that, I don't exactly, I don't know, but he knew he was going to be raised up. He would even have in some part of it in himself. In John 17, verse 5, he was praying to God about the glory that he would have with him. He was going to die, but I believe he still, in his emotions, as a man prayed, let this cup pass from me. It's, I'll do your will, but let it pass from me. 
you know, Lord, you can do every, I, I take it, Lord, you can do all things. You can get all these prophecies done and still deliver me. However you might do it, you can do all things. Let this cup pass. But he knew he was going to die. But he still asked, let the cup pass. He knew he was going to die. He still prayed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God allowed him to suffer that point in time. God allowed David to suffer. Even though they knew, David and Jesus knew that God is a God of deliverance. And they heard and he hears their prayer. But in their, in their humanity, in their emotions, as we described, the Psalms show to us the, the heart and the emotions and the feelings that the writer is going through and expressing. <coughs> Excuse me. Just a couple of illustrations on the word forsake. In Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8, God said of Israel, for a small moment I've forsaken thee. So I'm going to let you go to Babylon. Oh, I, I, God knew he was going to, there was going to be a remnant. There was going to be a return. The Christ was coming. God knew all of that. But for a small moment, he was going to allow them to go through what they were going through. I think that's all that Jesus and David are saying. You know, I'm going through this. What's going on? You know, get me out of this right now. In Judges 6 verse 13, Gideon said, the Lord has forsaken us. And he, he had for that time period. But God was even going to use Gideon himself to deliver. He heard the cries of his people. And he was going to use Gideon to deliver them. But God forsook him for that period of time. Uh, so God lets people go through the things that they go through. He lets us go through. And it very well may be that we're delivered only in the resurrection. You know, again, we see the great emotions that the psalmist has. And along that same line, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but here are people like Job, like David, who go through all of these things, and Jesus, who go through all of this suffering. If anyone in the world could have had the right to say, well, you know, injustice and suffering and death, that proves there's no God. If anyone in the world would have had the right to have that kind of attitude, Job would have, David would have, Jesus would have, but they stand as a record against the skeptic that even though they were going through the suffering that they went through, they still trusted and believed in God. God is the Almighty. He's the God of deliverance. And if nothing else, he'll raise us in the end and we'll be with him forever. Any comments or questions you have before we go into the next psalm, Psalm 32? In Psalm 32, there's also Psalm 51. Psalm 51, if you were to look at the heading of that psalm, Psalm 51, we're not going to really read that psalm. But in Psalm 51, if you look at the heading, it's supposed to be a psalm that, G, that uh, David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. And in that psalm, it's similar to Psalm 32, but in Psalm 51, David is asking for mercy. In verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 51, he's asking God to blot out his transgressions, wash him from his iniquity, cleanse him from his sin. Same kind of thing that we'll see in Psalm 32. David acknowledges his transgression to God in verse 3. And David is so expressive here in, in Psalm 51. David wanted God to, here in verses 7, 9, and 10, and these verses I have written on the screen, I'll just mention these things. God, David wanted God to purge him 
wash him, hide his face from his sins, blot out his iniquities, create in him a clean heart, renew a right spirit within him, restore to him the joy of salvation. And when God did, then he would praise God and teach others. We'll come back to that, that concept of praising God and teaching others in a moment. But we see this same kind of pattern, same kind of concepts in Psalm 32. One benefit of Psalm 32 that we'll look at is I think it helps us in our understanding of Romans 4. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul quotes David in Psalm 32. And in Romans chapter 4, he, Paul is showing us the connection between grace and faith and works. But Paul, is, Paul, by quoting Psalm 32, he's helping us to understand what he's teaching in Romans 4 about, about grace. It's so beneficial. Another benefit of Psalm 32 is I think it helps us to picture forgiveness under the Old Testament in conjunction with another passage, Romans 3.25, and we'll look at that. Just kind of giving you an overview of uh, the, the, how, uh, read some reasons for looking at Psalm 32. So in Psalm 32, I'll go to that psalm now. In Psalm 32, it looks like we have two parts of that psalm. David, and I'll, I'll go back to this chart in a moment, but in the first half of Psalm 32, David is speaking to God. And then the last half of Psalm 32, it looks like maybe God is speaking to David or David is speaking to others as a forgiven man. So David is crying out to God for help, and then in the end of the psalm, he's maybe talking to others about what they do to be blessed just as he, or maybe God is talking to him. But so in Psalm 32, in the first seven verses, in the first couple of verses, David speaks about the blessedness of the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose iniquity is not laid to his account. And that's the same kind of thing we were looking at in Psalm 51, remember? That same type of concept of David you know, confessing his sins to God, asking for forgiveness. Psalm 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So a man to whom the Lord will forgive, he, he's a man that is greatly blessed. He's well off. He's got it made uh, if he's forgiven. David was weighed down with his sins, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So David was weighed down with his sin. And I went a verse too far there. He was weighed down with his sin. He, he was in distress all the day long. And then in, the, in verse 5, God forgave the iniquity of David's sin when he acknowledged it, when he didn't hide it. And when he confessed it, let's look at verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So David is in distress. He speaks about the blessedness of one who is forgiven. And he said, I, I admitted it to God. I confessed my sin, and you forgave, you forgave me. In the last part of Psalm 32, turns around and, and again possibly David is talking to others about how that they too can be blessed if they'll just turn so in, in so he talks about accepting instruction 
Don't be like the mule. It's got to be forced to do something. (laughs) Just listen to God. Listen to instruction. You'll receive mercy, verse 10. And you'll you'll rejoice, verse 11. In verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held within a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, ye, all ye that are upright in heart. So again, just in this psalm, David is in distress. He confesses his sin to God, and he speaks of the blessedness of being forgiven. And anyone else that wants to have that same blessedness, you listen to God, you turn, don't be like the mule, and you'll be blessed. Now look, look at, uh, I think a benefit of Psalm 32 is in Romans chapter 4, understanding Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, again, Paul is describing the blessedness of those who are forgiven, those who are saved by grace, but he uses two people to help us see that. He uses Abraham and David, and he quotes from this very psalm that we read here in Psalm 32. Paul quotes from David describing the blessedness of the one who's forgiven. He says in Romans 4, What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Remember that verse 4. Two avenues of forgiveness, grace or debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom the Lord imputeth righteousness apart from works or without works. So Abraham was blessed. David was blessed. They weren't blessed on the basis of their works. We'll talk more about that in a second. They, they weren't blessed on the, on the greatness of their works. But they were blessed through the avenue of grace. They were able to be forgiven of their sins. All have sinned. Abraham sinned. David sinned. We sinned. Romans 3.23. All have sinned. They sinned. That's why they couldn't be justified on the basis of their works. You know, if, if we did not sin, God would owe us salvation. But we have, haven't we? All have sinned. Abraham, David, and we have sinned. We've missed the boat of perfect works, but we haven't missed the boat of grace. God doesn't owe us salvation. We sinned, but we can make the boat of grace, we might say. We can be saved by grace. He describes how that David describes the blessedness of the man, uh, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So he's quoting David in talking about the blessedness of the man who's forgiven. So Paul contrasts two systems of salvation, grace or debt, 
verse 4. Abraham, David, and we are not saved by debt. We've sinned, come short of God's glory. He didn't know us anything, but he's, by his grace, he's willing to save us. We can't be saved by debt. We've sinned, but we can save, be saved by grace through faith. But here's the point. In Psalm 32 and verse 5, so, so Paul is using David to show that we're saved by grace. We can be forgiven. David was forgiven. We can be forgiven. He spoke of the blessedness of the man who's forgiven. We can be so blessed to be forgiven by God through his grace, by the blood of Christ, of course. But in Psalm 32 and verse 5, was David saved without doing anything unconditionally? Psalm 32 and verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest mine iniquity. So David met conditions in order to be forgiven by the grace of God. And so Paul, is sh- rather than Psalm 32 and Romans 4 showing we don't have to meet any conditions at all, it's showing just the opposite. So I believe Psalm 32 helps us understand Romans 4. We're not saved on the basis of our works. We can't be. We've sinned. But we can be saved on the basis of God's grace conditionally when we meet God's conditions. And of course, as we've, as we've noted, those in the Old Testament, they had their own conditions. We have ours, such as baptism. But Psalm 32 verse 5 shows that David was not saved unconditionally. He confessed his sin and God forgave it. So the, just the benefit of, of, of letting Psalm 32 help us in our understanding of a New Testament passage. In, let's see. In Psalm 32, in verse 5, in connection with Romans 3.25, David said in Psalm 32... I acknowledge my sin. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Romans 3.25 shows us how God, it could be said that God is just in forgiving those under the old covenant. Romans 3.25 shows us that he was righteous in doing that because he had a means of salvation. He had a propitiation. He had a, an avenue of forgiveness, and that was Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross, the blood of Christ, was going to be, he, Jesus was going to be the means of forgiving the propitiation, the means of forgiving people of their sins, both under the old and under the new. He said in Romans 3.25, God set forth Jesus, he's talking about, Jesus as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Nathan said to David, God put away your sin. David said in Psalm 32, I confess my sin, you forgave it. How did he do that? By the blood of Christ. They were forgiven by the blood of Christ that was coming, just like we're forgiven by the blood of Christ that came. So Romans 3.25 helps us to understand Psalm 32 and verse 5. But just, under, you know, just seeing, the, again, the blessedness of, uh, of forgiveness. Before we go into Psalm 35, any comments or questions on Psalm 22 or Psalm 32? I understand, uh, make one more comment in regard to uh, that last slide. I understand that sins were not forgiven by the blood of bulls and goats. 
the book of Hebrews shows us. But they were forgiven by the blood of Christ. So I don't know that David understood all of those details, behind the scenes details about the coming blood of Christ. I don't know that he knew that. But he could speak of the blessedness of forgiveness. And of course we know, uh, with 20-20 hindsight, we know that it was by the blood of Christ that he was forgiven. Psalm 35. Let me check my time. Psalm 35 is, is one of the imprecatory psalms. A, a psalm that is uh, means, precatory means an imprecation is, means to curse or to invoke judgment upon one's enemies. In these psalms, the writer is calling upon God to judge and take vengeance against the enemy. And so here in Psalm 35, we see God, or I'm sorry, we see David basically expressing, you know, help me. My enemies are on me. Get, get them off my back. You know, help me out. Deliver me from the evil people. Now, David was a man of war. Sometimes God gave him authority to take vengeance. But he was also a man warred against. You know, we, we've seen, what, with Absalom and Saul and others. He was, David was warred against. And as such, he might call upon God to help him. Lord, deliver me. You know, the enemy is upon me. Deliver me. And so understand the difference in those two concepts about, say, David taking vengeance himself or David calling upon God to take the vengeance. In Psalm 35, in Psalm 35, David is calling upon God to judge the wicked. David, and I believe as well as we, it may be that we can use imprecatory language against evildoers. You know, God doesn't want us, God doesn't want me to take vengeance. If someone does me wrong, I shouldn't take vengeance. But I can do like David and call upon God for help. I can call upon God to judge. And we'll look at some passages. So there's a difference between me taking vengeance and me calling upon God to take vengeance. Here in the imprecatory Psalms, the writer is calling upon God to take vengeance. Now, again, God may have given the writer at times the authority to take vengeance. But in the psalm, he's calling upon God for help. So David, in this Psalm 35, is calling upon God to judge the wicked. In Psalm 35, in the first eight verses, a number of times, and we'll just, let's see, if we have time to, I do believe we have time to read the psalm. In Psalm 35, in the first eight verses, notice he says, plead my cause with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. So he's calling upon God for help. Take vengeance, Lord. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say to my soul, I'm thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery. And let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause they've hid for me their net in a pit. And without cause they have digged for my soul. Yet destruction come upon him at unawares. And let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Kind of like uh, Haman in his own gallows. Into, him, into that very destruction, let him fall. So David, again, is calling upon God to judge the wicked. In verses 9 through 16, he, he describes these false witnesses are rising up against me and they're 
making charges against me. I don't know anything about them. Lord, I don't know what's, what they're saying. Why are they saying that? But in verse 9, 9 through 16, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. He shall, it shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses, false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I, I, knew, I knew not. I don't know what they're saying, what they're charging me with. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversary they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. <laughs> In verses 17 to 21, David describes, Lord, how long are you going to look on? You know, help me out. How long is this going to take? How long are you going to allow me to go through this suffering? Deliver me. Verse 17, Lord, how long will thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. There's that, it reminded me of that song that we sing. I can't remember the other, other psalm that, uh, you know, let not my enemy triumph over me. But uh, I guess an imprecatory song that we would sing. But here's this imprecatory psalm, you know, asking God to come to his deliverance, come to his aid, judge him, judge his enemy. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they open their mouth wide against me, and hath said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. And then in verses 22 to 26, he says, Judge me, O Lord my God, let them not rejoice over me. This thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence, O Lord, and be not far from me. You know, you know stop waiting around, Lord. Help me out now. Deliver me. Store up thyself and wake to my judgment, even to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God. And again, even though David may go through things, he still doesn't waver in his trust to God. He knows God's a God of deliverance, but he may have to suffer. We know God's a God of deliverance, that he hears us, but we may have to suffer. But we don't lose trust in God. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, so we would have it. Let them not say, we've swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. And then the last couple of verses, he, he praises God. Let them shout for joy and be glad and favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified which hath had pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. So David was continuing to give God the praise, all the while pleading to God for help, uh, for him to judge the wicked. You know, God directed David, as we said, God directed David at times to take vengeance. David could take vengeance. I've highlighted a verse, verse 40 in Psalm 18. Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22 are parallel. 
But in, in Psalm 8, Second uh, uh, Samuel 22, well, maybe it's Psalm 18, verse 40. I've got it highlighted on the screen. David said, Thou hast given me, you've given me the necks of my enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. So God would at times give David the authority to destroy and take vengeance. God did that. And I've got a number of other passages on the board where God gave that same kind of authority to some. Like in 1 Samuel 15, God would tell Saul, go destroy Amalek. And so God would allow David and Saul and others to take out their vengeance. We can call upon God to judge the wicked. David did, we can. 2 Timothy 4 verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. In Galatians 1 verse 8. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. So we can call upon God to judge the wicked, but we should not take vengeance ourselves. Someone, someone hits me, I don't need to take vengeance and hit them back. I need to love my enemy and do good to my neighbor. Any, before we wrap up the, uh, and conclude the class, just another few seconds or so, any comments or questions on Psalm 22 or 32 or 35? Well, the Psalms, they're Holy Scripture. They're inspired. They're, they were authoritative for them and binding on them. We can get so much benefit from them and, and any Old Testament Scripture. But we do have to remember that we cannot bind Old Testament law. Hey, you need to worship on the Sabbath. Hey, you need to offer an animal sacrifice or whatever. That was their covenant, their law. But we can still learn so much from it. We can get details and information, like in Psalm 32, that will even help us understand a New Testament passage like Romans 4. And as we face trials, remember David's example of trust in God. Again, I just can't help but think the skeptic just has no room for his words against God. Men like David, men like Jesus, and Job, and others, they suffered so much and they have it recorded what they went through, yet they still trusted in God. And we, we can too. And we can see when we go through things and we're wondering, why, why aren't we delivered from these things? Why, why, why does it have to take so long with this suffering? We can look at David. We can look at others to whom it also took a long time, maybe, for Job or for David. But they still trusted in God. I can't lose hope. I can't get away from my trust in God. So we can consider David's expressive words of lament and praise as we too approach God. Well, thank you for your, your attention and uh, again, the next couple of classes will be the book of Proverbs.